Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message was given by Danny Strange. How many of you have messed up? All right, I want to make sure there's no one with their hand down. This is a very applicable one for you and probably for me. No, wait, I was going to say for me and probably for you. I know it's applicable for me. John 21. Did you find it? Help your neighbor. I still hear pages turning. Let me pray for us as we dive in to God's word this morning. Father, thank you for this chance to be here together as your people, declaring praises to your wonderful name, and to hear the word you have for us as a congregation this morning regarding your son Jesus and his work on our behalf, the way that he saves us and rescues us through his work. We recognize that we are people who mess up often. And we look into your word with anticipation to see how you would have us to deal with it. Guide us and lead us and convict us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Anyone out there who loves action movies? I've been loving these new Avenger movies, like the Iron Man and all that, because my wife likes them. And she won't see any movie that doesn't have a love story in it. And I think whoever writes these movies know that if I want to go see it, there's got to be a love story in it, or else I'm going to go see it alone. And how many of you saw Avengers, this last Avengers that came out, all that? Iron Man, the new Iron Man? Even Star Trek is out there, Superman coming out? It's a good summer for movies, gentlemen and ladies. If you see an action movie that has a love story plot in it, I don't want to ruin it for you, but it'll probably end this way. The hero of the story, the superhero or the whatever mild-mannered hero hero of the story, gets in some sort of argument with his girlfriend or fiance or wife, right? And in the midst of that argument, they split up and then disaster happens. The world starts to fall apart. And now he's got to rescue her, or he's messed up in a way that now she's about to die because of it, whatever it is. And so he comes back in to save the day. And maybe aliens come and attack the world. Maybe there's a supervillain that's coming after him. And he fights off the supervillain, and he fights off the alien, and he's shooting people with giant guns or with his zappy arms or whatever men do as superheroes. I'm a big superhero fan, as you can tell. And he's fighting and fighting and fighting and the whole world is blowing up and then the dust settles and the enemy is dead and he wins and we all go, yeah! And then it fades to black and I go, yes, he saved the world. And then my wife leans over and she always whispers, what about the girl? Right? Because there's always that final curtain that falls right when disaster is averted, but they never really resolve the conflict that was going on with the lady, generally. And so then I take a deep breath and I realize that there's still another three minutes left in the movie. And the lights come back up on the screen and, and some time has elapsed and the setting has changed. And maybe it changes to a wedding, right? And all the the superhero guys are all in tuxes and all their wounds have healed because time has passed. And you wonder, okay, whose wedding is this? I mean, we know it's the wedding between the superhero in the movie and his girl or whatever. 
people or there's a family banquet that's happening and there's gifts and you're trying to figure out what is this and all of a sudden it's the superhero and his lady and their new baby, right? Like, oh, life is coming back together again. There was a loose end that needed to be tied up that I never noticed, but my wife notices. And so after that final curtain, the lights reemerge and we get to see what happens after the main event. That's what we see in John 21. Now, some people believe that John 21 doesn't belong in the Bible for no other reason than for John 20 ends with a paragraph that sounds like the curtain is closing. John 20, verse 30 says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Theologians say that John chapter 20, verse 31, is like the thesis of the book of John. And we would expect that at that point, the story would close. That John 21 wouldn't exist because everything has been reconciled. Jesus has risen from the grave, appeared to his disciples, and John says he did a lot of other things. But what I want you to know is Jesus is the Savior of all mankind. But as the curtain closes and the lights go off, the first century audience would whisper, What about Peter? So there was one loose end that wasn't tied up. They talk about the night Jesus was betrayed. He was betrayed by two people on that night, Judas Iscariot and Simon Peter. We saw that Simon betrayed Jesus. He denied him not once, not twice, but three times. That he looked at Jesus as he was being led off to be crucified and in presence of these people said, I don't even know that guy. At one point, Peter even calls curses down on himself. He said, may God strike me dead. If I know Jesus, I've never met him. And then Jesus is crucified. And yeah, we know the story doesn't end there. That he rises from the dead. He appears to his disciples. And traction starts being made again. And we realize that Jesus is not dead. He is alive. And the story ends in John 20. We think, but what about Peter? Peter, in the book of Acts, is like the senior pastor of the church of Jerusalem. He's big time. He's the kind of guy that is leading all these thousands of people to Christ. And yet there's a gap there. There's Peter who betrayed Jesus. And there's Peter who is this amazing leader for Jesus. But something had to happen between those two things to reconcile him to Jesus. So a first century audience would say, whoa, 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 whoa. This story can't end until we find out what happened between Jesus and Peter. So like those summer blockbusters, we see that time elapses, the setting changes. It's away from Jerusalem, now it's up in the serene Galilee area, and it says in John 21, verse 1, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. As we start to encounter this story, kind of the after story of Simon Peter, the first question we would ask ourselves is, why is Peter fishing? Maybe you've heard that Peter is fishing because he's running away from ministry. He's fishing because he's riddled with guilt. He's fishing because that was his former profession, and yet Jesus called him out of that. But now that he has failed Jesus, he went back to fishing again. He's departed from his calling because 
He's so full of guilt and shame. And that's possible. And I think we need to be careful that we don't just read ourselves into this text. I went on a retreat one time with about 12 high school students, and it was a spiritual disciplines retreat. I gave all of them a passage of scripture. It was Mark chapter 1, where Jesus goes off into the lonely places, and he prays in solitude. And as he's praying, the disciples start looking for him. And they come up the hill, and they find Jesus where he is, and they exclaim to Jesus, everyone is looking for you. So I bring the the kids back in after this hour or two of solitude, and I say, okay, tell me what happened in Mark chapter 1. Kid number one says, Jesus is out praying, and the disciples are worried sick. So where where is Jesus? We can't find him anywhere. And they find him, and in exasperation, they say, Jesus, where have you been? We've all been looking for you. We were so worried. Like, okay. The next kid says, no, no, no. What happened was Jesus was off in solitude, and the disciples are looking for him everywhere, and they can't find him, and they get irritated. And they go to find Jesus. They say, Jesus, where were you? We're so irritated at you. Oh, that's different. The third guy says, oh, well, what happened was Jesus went out to pray, and the disciples were looking for him, and they couldn't find him. And that kind of was Jesus' custom. He did his own thing. And so the disciples were like, crazy Jesus, we should go find him. And they find him like, Jesus, where were you? We were looking for you. And every one of those students said to the person, when I asked them, well, why do you think the disciples said it that way? And they said, well, that's what I would have said. And it's, that's true, that's what we do. We read the text and we say, okay, what would I do if I betrayed Jesus? What would you do if you betrayed Jesus? What, what do you do when you betray Jesus? Picture this, picture you had a friend that you grew up with and you were close, you were best friends, and then one day you did something unthinkable. So more than just you talked behind their back or made up a story about them, like you, you ruined their life. I think of Peter and Jesus, betraying him, the betrayal at its core. Picture you've got a friend, and maybe you and his wife have an affair or something. And you don't know what came over, you don't know how it happened, you know you've ruined this relationship. And you don't feel like you could ever be in relationship with this guy again. You know, thankfully him and his wife get back together, they start going through counseling, but you just feel like, what I did is so horrible, there's no way we could be in relationship, there's no way he'll ever forgive me. Look, if I did that, I... I'd hide too. I'd be riddled with shame and guilt too. I wouldn't seek that guy out. I wouldn't try to call him. I I wouldn't assume that he'd want to talk to me. I would just kind of keep my distance and go back to my life. So a lot of times we think, okay, that's probably what Peter's doing. He's walking away from Jesus and he knows that he just ruined everything. So he went back to fishing. But if that's true, why are the other disciples with him? It's not him alone on a boat. He says to the disciples, I'm going fishing. And they don't say, Peter, no, please, don't go fishing. Stick with ministry. They say, okay, we'll go with you. doesn't seem like they're going on some Jesus abandonment journey or anything. I have a couple ideas why Peter might be fishing on that evening. Number one, maybe Peter needed something to eat. You could write that down. It's life-changing. He needed something to eat, maybe. We know that for sure. That's a possibility. If you're a fisherman, you go fishing to eat fish. So maybe he needed something to eat. Maybe he needed something to do. Peter's in Galilee. Do you know why Peter was in Galilee with all the other disciples? It wasn't because they were running from Jesus. Jesus told them to go there. 
Remember the empty tomb on Easter morning? Peter arrives, the women arrive, and and they can't find Jesus anywhere. And the angel says, he is not here, he is risen. I was expecting you to say, he is risen indeed. And then they say, he's not here, he is risen. Go see the place where they laid him. Now go to Galilee, and there you will see him. The disciples are in Galilee. They left Jerusalem because the angel said, when you get to Galilee, there you will see Jesus. So this isn't Peter and the disciples running away from Jerusalem to leave Jesus. This is Peter and the disciples running to Galilee because they were looking for Jesus. That's where Jesus told them to go. And so he's fishing, not necessarily because he's running, but maybe it's because he's just doing stuff. Now if you were a pilot, you own a plane, you own a hangar, you got a crew, and you just jet people around from the Hayward Airport to Livermore, or that's not far enough, to Stockton, not far enough, Bakersfield, or up to Portland or whatever, and that's kind of your living. And, and one day Jesus comes and says, listen, I want you to close down your hangar, lock it up, and follow me. I want you to go on a missions trip to Africa or something. Like, uh, okay, so you and your crew close it up, shut it down, you fly to Africa, you're doing ministry there for a while, and then Jesus comes back and says, you know what, I've got a new plan for you. Why don't you go back home, and I'll give you a new plan when you get there. Okay, so you get back on uh, on the plane. You fly back to the East Bay. You're hanging out, and and you're waiting for Jesus to give you your new mission. What do you think you would do while you were there? You'd probably turn to your friends and say, hey, let's take the plane out. Let's go back to the hangar. Let's see if she still runs. Let's take her around the Bay Area for a while. Let's, Let's go out today while we're waiting for Jesus. I really think all that Peter was doing was fishing because that's what fishermen do when they're bored with a boat. We don't see a lot of guilt and shame in Peter in this story. It's interesting, when he sees Jesus, what does Peter do? He runs after him. But we see here in John 21, they went out and they got into the boat, but they didn't catch anything. Then in verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and then you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. But Peter's out on this boat because he's looking for something to eat, he's looking for something to do. He sees Jesus, he runs after Jesus, who has prepared for him something to eat, and then he gives him something to do. He says, Peter, in verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Peter is out on Galilee, not really displaying the signs of someone who's riddled with guilt or shame. He's been hanging out with Jesus ever since the resurrection. Peter was there in the upper room when Jesus appeared to the disciples, minus Thomas. Peter was there again when Jesus appeared to the disciples and Thomas. And now Peter has gone with the disciples up to Galilee where he's hanging out and waiting for Jesus to give him something to do. 
And in the process of that, he sees Jesus, and he's not so riddled with guilt that he hides, but he's so overwhelmed with excitement that he goes after Jesus and finds him in expectation. Jesus, I've been looking for you. The Peter I see in this passage isn't a Peter who's so ashamed of his sin. He's almost a Peter that doesn't remember his sin. I don't know if Peter's ignoring the fact that he sinned. I can't imagine that Peter forgot the fact that he sinned. What, this is me reading myself into the text, but what, what I think Peter is probably doing is he's hoping that Jesus isn't remembering his sin. When if you had messed up bad against a friend and you felt unworthy to be in his presence and then you found yourself with him at a dinner party and, and you hung out and you made a little small talk and he didn't ignore you, he didn't shun you, he didn't stomp off, he didn't kick you out, and he didn't mention what you'd done, you'd probably walk away thinking, that was better than I thought. And then if you went out again a couple weeks later and your friend was there and same thing happened, he didn't bring it up, he, he didn't glare at you, he was friendly to you, and you'd walk away thinking, okay, maybe I'm coming out of this okay. And then Peter sees Jesus, and he runs after Jesus. And Peter seems to think that he's in the clear. And Jesus hasn't brought it up yet. And Peter's not going to bring it up. And Peter's got a lot of guts in this passage, I think. And if I had totally messed up against a friend, if I had betrayed a friend, and I'm at Chipotle eating lunch with some other friends, right? And this guy comes in, and I see him, I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no, there he is. This is not going to be good. I would probably, like, sneak out. Like, I, I don't want to burden him with my presence here, and I definitely don't want to make a scene when he starts punching me in the face. I'm going to leave, right? And so you sneak out. Or maybe you just kind of keep your head down and eat quietly and hope he doesn't notice you because that would be super awkward. I, I know I would not go up to the guy and give him a huge hug. Well, that's what Peter does. He sees Jesus and goes after him. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yeah. Jesus says, well, then go. Feed my sheep. Be a fisher of men. Does this story sound familiar to you? I mean, it kind of sounds like the Jonah story, right? There's a guy on a boat who has sinned. He gets thrown into the water because he's the sinner. And yet he reemerges on dry land and God says, go after the mission I gave you before. Kind of like Jonah. But you know what it's more like? It's more exactly like Peter's first call into ministry. Remember that story? Luke chapter 5. You can turn there. Turn to Luke chapter 5. This is when Jesus first called Peter into ministry. See if you can notice the similarities between this story and the John 21 story, which happened years later. In this story, Jesus is standing by the Lake of Galilee, probably very close to the same spot. And the people were listening to Jesus teaching. When Jesus was teaching there, this is chapter 5, verse 2, he saw two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. We find out that one of the boats was belonging to Simon Peter. Jesus gets into his boat and asks Peter to put him out from the shore. Then he sat and taught the people from the boat. So when Jesus had finished speaking, he says to Simon Peter, Put your nets out into the deep water and let them down for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. 
but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. So we've got this scene where it's Peter and some other disciples, well, future disciples. And they're hanging out with Jesus, but they don't really know he's Jesus yet. He's just a guy who's teaching. And they've gone out all night. They haven't caught anything in their fishing boats. And yet Jesus comes to them and says, listen, put your nets over there and you'll catch something. They throw their nets over. It's so full of fish that they're overwhelmed and amazed at the identity of Jesus. And they see Jesus, that he's more than just a teacher. He is someone worthy to be worshipped and praised. And when Simon Peter saw this, in verse 8, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus says to Simon, do not, be afra- do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. They recognize Jesus. Peter repents of his sin. And Jesus says, listen, go and fish for men. Luke chapter 5 and John chapter 21 are almost identical. There's only one thing missing in John 21. Repentance. You notice that? What's missing from this encounter? Repentance. When Peter first encounters the reality and the identity of Jesus, he falls to his knees before him and says, Go away, Lord, I am a sinful man. Jesus says, Listen, I want you to go and fish for people. In John 21, Peter sees Jesus and he doesn't repent even though he's in sin. He doesn't repent. He goes after Jesus and starts to hang out with Jesus and just spend time with Jesus. And it's not until Jesus brings up Peter's sin that it's dealt with. Jesus, after breakfast, goes to Peter and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And maybe he's saying, do you love me more than these fish? I want you to fish for people, not fish. Do you love me more than fish? And that would probably be true if Peter was fishing to get out of ministry. He's like recalling him into ministry. But most scholars say that what Jesus is asking is, Simon Peter, do you love me more than these other guys? Either do you love me more than you love these other guys, or do you love me more than these other guys do? Which isn't really a kind of question you'd see Jesus asking, but it is the kind of question that you could see Peter loving to answer, can't you? Jesus asks, Peter, do you love me more than the other disciples do? Peter's like, yes. I love you so much, Jesus. I would die for you, Jesus. I would do anything. Even if all these guys betray you, Jesus, I'll never betray you, Jesus. Peter loves questions like that. And ironically, the last time Peter said something like that, that he loves Jesus more than these, was the night that he betrayed Jesus. Yet Peter seems unfazed by that question. He doesn't understand the symbolism of that question. He says, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. And then again, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And I can imagine for Peter, this is a really exciting moment. You know, he's messed up. He's felt like maybe Jesus will never take him back. And now he's with Jesus. He's showing him, Jesus, I still love you. I still want to be with you. And Jesus is saying, that's all that matters. Serve me, serve me, serve me. And Peter's like, yes, it's coming together. I was scared he'd be mad, but he doesn't seem to care. I am in Jesus. 
And then Jesus looks at him a third time. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And John, who wrote this book, sees that Peter was affected by this question. That when Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? It finally sunk in that Jesus wasn't trying to ignore Peter's sin, but he was bringing it up. You ever had that conversation with somebody? You betray them, and and you hang out a couple times, they don't bring it up, and you kind of think they've forgotten about it. And then they invite you out to dinner, and you're a little nervous, but you sit down, you order appetizers, you're making small talk, how's the family, how's life, how's whatever, and you're thinking, okay, it's coming back together. And you get your entree. It always happens when you get your entree. And they just put down their fork, and they say, hey, we need to talk about something. And you're like, no. I was hoping we'd never have to have this conversation. That happens to Peter. Jesus says the third time, do you love me? And Peter's cut to the heart. He says Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? So now this third answer from Peter has to come with sincerity. Like Paul said earlier, God knows our hearts. He, he knows the, mouth, the words that are going to come out of our mouths even before they do. So Peter's not going to lie to Jesus here. And so Peter's got to rack his brain. He's got to search his heart. Do I truly love Jesus? I messed up bad. I betrayed him. And as Peter searches his heart, he realizes, you know what, deep in his core, he does love Jesus. Yeah, he messed up bad. But he comes back to Jesus and says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. When you mess up, what do you do? Some of us run away. I see people sometimes who come to church, I haven't seen them in a while, and say, how are are things going? I haven't seen you. I say, well, I messed up bad. I've just been trying to get my act back together. I don't feel like I could show my face in this place until... Until I figured out my stuff. Is that you? Sometimes we feel like we've messed up. We need to show God how sorry we are. We've got to beat ourselves up over our sin. Other times we, we take the opposite route. Maybe what Peter was doing in this passage. We mess up, but we want to show God that we're serious. And, and so we try to just kind of live in the light of what we want to be instead. God, hey, I messed up, but let's not talk about that. I want to show you that I'm really serious. I'm going to show you that I'm not going to mess up again, God. I promise, not again. I won't do this again, God. Let me just give you, just give me a chance to, to, to do the right thing, and you'll see that you can trust me this time, God. What we see in the way that Peter addresses, or Jesus addresses Peter, is that when you mess up, don't ignore your sin. Don't ignore your sin. But also, don't dwell on your sin. Let Jesus address your sin. And send you on your way. After you mess up, don't ignore your sin. Don't dwell on your sin. Let Jesus address your sin and send you on your way. Jesus could have done a lot of different things. 
he could have ignored Peter. He could have said, you know what, Peter, I'm done with you. I gave you a chance and you blew it. Jesus is going to come back and said, Peter, I'm going to restore you here, but I want to let you know, I told you this would happen. You were getting all prideful, saying that you would never betray me, and I told you, remember? He doesn't do that. And he could have come to Peter and said, Peter, how dare you betray me, and then come and show your face here today. But he doesn't do that. Jesus addresses Peter's sin. He even brings it up when Peter's trying not to bring it up. But then he restores him. He sends him on his way. There's no lecture. There's no fight. There's no beating. It's just mercy and truth and grace. I remember when I was in high school, I had a friend who came to school one day and said, I, you would not believe what happened to me last night. What happened? It's like, I was at home, minding my own business, working on my homework, and I jumped on the internet, and I just clicked on something, and all of a sudden, this nasty image showed up on my screen of this woman. I'm like, what did, what did you do? And we were like 13, 14 years old. He's like, I tried to close it. I, I hit the little X or whatever, and tried to close it, but when I closed it, all these other pictures started popping up of these women without their clothes on. And so I tried to close them, but every time I closed them, more images would show up, and I didn't know what to do. I'd never seen anything like that before. I'm like, what, what did you do? He's like, what could I do? I, call, I called my dad and said, Dad, I need you to help me. And I, I heard that story, and I am, honestly, the, the most scary thing about that story for me was why would that guy ask his dad for help? right? I would never do that. If I got myself in a situation like that, even if it wasn't my fault, like my friend here, the last person I would call would be my parents. I, I don't know why. I just feel like, you know what, if you mess up, if you get caught in something hard, you just figure it out and you don't tell anyone, right? Let alone your mom and dad, man. And, and that story has always stuck with me because I've, it's been so remarkably, why would this guy think to ask his dad for help? I realize now that my friend had a view of his dad, that his dad was not there to punish him. His dad didn't exist to lecture him. His dad wasn't there to come and say, I told you so. His dad was there to rescue him. That was his dad's role. And sometimes you get caught up in stuff you don't know how to get out of. And if you've got a father who loves you, if you've got a father who wants the best for you, if you've got a father who shows grace and mercy and compassion on you, then he's the first guy you would call. When you get stuck in sin, is God the first guy you would call? Think of this song, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise his holy name. I was thinking after the first service, but when I'm stuck in sin, I don't want to sing a song like that. I don't feel like I'm worthy to bless the Lord. I don't feel like I'm worthy to come before him and sing praises like a hypocrite when I'm doing stuff out there I shouldn't be doing. That's funny, if you look at Psalm 130, which is where this song is from, the psalmist is writing these words in the midst of recognizing that we are sinful, terrible people. I'm sorry, Psalm, Psalm 103. Got it backwards. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. 
Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The Lord who forgives all your sins. The Lord who heals all your diseases. The Lord who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made way his, known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Funny, when you read the Psalms, you see psalm after psalm after psalm of these people who are crying out to the Lord and praising him because he's the type of father who overlooks sin, who is long-suffering when we sin, who pours out mercy and grace instead of vengeance. And a lot of the psalms, Psalm 130 is the one I mentioned earlier, we hear these psalms from these men or women who are crying out to the Lord. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. I think the reason that John 21 is in the Bible is not to show that Peter has changed. Because he hasn't. Funny, right after Jesus restores Peter into ministry, Jesus says, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. Now listen, you are going to follow me to the end. Someday you will die for your faith. And the first thing Peter does is he looks back at John and says, well, what about that guy? It's the same Peter. It's the same guy. It's the same prideful, arrogant, messed up dude. Peter hasn't changed. But you know what has changed? The day that all the psalmists pointed forward to had arrived. And back in the Old Testament, we see all these people saying, God, you are so merciful. Someday you will come and you will rescue us from our sins. And we trust you now. John 21 shows us that day is here. The day where God approaches us and does not pay us as our sins deserve because he came. And he was paid what our sins deserve. He died the death we should die on the cross. And yet he rose from the grave in victory so that his ministry is not one of judgment and condemnation. But Jesus' ministry after the resurrection is one of forgiveness and healing and restoration into ministry. I love that Psalm 130, that we fear the Lord, we revere the Lord, and yet we walk with confidence in our reverence because he is the type of God that forgives us of our sins. After you mess up, don't ignore your sin. Don't dwell on your sin. Allow Jesus to address your sin and send you back on your way. In a room like this, I know there are 
people from all different places, walking through all different things. And some of us in here, we've got sin in our lives right now. And we've been so scared to give it to Jesus because we don't want to yet. And my prayer is that in this text, what you will see is that when you give your sin to Jesus, he takes it. But what does 1 John 1, 9 say? If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just. He will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He's the God of the whole Bible. He's one who is not looking to punish you for your sin. He's looking to remove it from you. But his son was punished. And maybe you've been in sin and you feel like you're disqualified from following God because you messed up before. You see, Jesus restores Peter. If anyone feels like he's not fit for ministry, it should be Peter. Yet Jesus addresses his sin and, and sends him on his way and says, Go fish for men. Go feed my sheep. Your calling has not changed. You sinned. You're a sinner. That's what sinners do. Let me forgive you and send you on your way. And for those of you in here who, who do not yet know Jesus, you're walking in your sinful lifestyle. You feel like maybe I could clean up my life and be acceptable to God later. Maybe I could fix some stuff and then follow God. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That we are saved from our sin, not when we fix our stuff, but when we bring our junk to Jesus and he takes it away. Let him take it away. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to dig your way out of it. Call your dad for help. And let him put you back on your feet again. Let's pray today that God would give us the courage to walk in this truth. Father, we recognize that you are so good to us. Let the words of those psalmists pierce our heart that you do not treat us as our sins deserve. Let us not take sin lightly. Like you don't care about it. You care so much about it, you sent Jesus to take care of it. So let us walk in that balance of reverence and freedom. Knowing that you have set us free, so we are free indeed to run after the future you have for us. And we will fall, we will sin, and we will bring it to you, and you will put us back on our feet again and send us on our way. Let that be the story of our lives. No one can call us hypocrites if we admit that we're sinners. No one can think that our religion is one of works if we admit that we are people who don't work out well sometimes. As we live our lives, let us run after you. Let us fight against temptation. Let us flee from it. But when we fall, we pray that the first call we would make would be to you. We think of Jonah from the bottom of his pit. He cried out to the Lord and was rescued. We pray that we would be people who are constantly crying out for rescue and finding freedom in the new life that you give us. Pray that as we do that, you would give us an excitement and a passion for you, that you're that kind of God. Let us say along with Paul in Romans that if God is for us, who can be against us? Let us run in freedom because it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.